Today's conversation is the podcast of the National Association of Evangelicals, hosted by Walter Kim, NAE President. Today's conversation is with Amy Sherman, Senior Fellow of the Sagamore Institute. The topic, Reimagining Your Vocation. Today's conversation is brought to you by NAE's Bless Your Pastor campaign. Now is the time to let our pastors know they're loved and appreciated. At blessyourpastor.org, you can receive a free list of 50 creative ways to bless your pastor. You'll also discover how your senior pastor can receive a $100 Amazon gift card from us, thanks to a generous grant. Get started at blessyourpastor.org. And now, let's join in. I'm Walter Kim, here with Amy Sherman. Amy directs the Sagamore Institute's Center on Faith and Communities. The center provides training, technical assistance, and consulting to faith-based and community-based providers, providers that want to invest more effectively in their neighborhoods. She's conducted many research projects in this area. She's the author of six books, including her most recent, Kingdom Calling, Vocational Stewardship for the Common Good. Uh, This book uh, won Christianity Today's Book of the Year Award in the Christian Living category. Amy is also the founder of Charlottesville's Abundant Life Ministries, a holistic, cross-cultural, church-based outreach in Virginia. I've known Amy now for several years. I've known of her work. I've appreciated uh, connecting with her, learning from her, and uh, I appreciate the opportunity for this conversation. Thanks for joining us, Amy. Well, it's my pleasure and delight. So let's jump into this conversation. In this summer season, I've talked to a lot of pastors, nonprofit leaders, ministry workers, uh, working professionals, and and people are simply worn down. It's been a long, tiring season of work and ministry for people. Uh, What better time than now to pause and think about our relationship to work? And this is an area that you've thought a lot about. What does the Bible teach us about work? That's a big and good question to start with. Um, The Bible teaches us a lot about work. Um, Some of the highlights I think I would mention would be that work is good and it's normative. Um, I mean, we know that work is hard, um, but some people are surprised to, to learn that work was right there at the beginning of the big story in Genesis 1 and 2. It's a pre fall thing. So God designed work to be something that's good, fruitful, delightful. He's given us various uh, talents and gifts that he calls us to use and to steward uh, to to partner with him in the ongoing development of his creation. Um, So work is good, and it's good for us. I think we also learn from the Bible that that, that work uh, is a means of worship. Uh, In fact, the Hebrew word that's used often for work is the word avodah. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, Walter, you'll have to let us know. But but it can be translated work or worship or service. Uh, And that really teaches us a lot about what God intends work to be, right? Um, So on the one hand, work is a way that we image our our creator. God is a worker and we bear his image when we creatively do work like he does. Um, We worship God um, by obeying that cultural mandate that he calls us to to tend and 
and develop the, the garden to take the rock, uh, raw materials of creation and, and, and make new things. Um, but work is also service. It's a way of loving our neighbor. Um, God calls us into working so that we can be contributors um, to one another's uh, flourishing uh, in this world. So, so those are some of the, I think, foundational things that the Bible teaches us about work. Amy, one of the interesting um, ways that you describe work in your writing is this phrase, vocational stewardship. What, what do you mean by that? Yeah. Um, so I think we're familiar in many Christian circles with the idea of financial stewardship. And I think when we use that phrase, what we mean is, well, all of, all of our financial resources are ultimately gifts from God, and they're meant to be stewarded very intentionally um, according to, to God's values uh, and to be deployed for the advancement of God's kingdom purposes. Well, similarly, um, all of our vocational resources or assets are also ultimately gifts from God. Um, whatever things you happen to be good at, you know, if you're naturally good at, um, at art or at math, um, neither of which I am naturally good at, um, those, those, are, those are vocational gifts. Um, if, if God's designed your personality so that you're a really great counselor or you're a really great organizer or you're a really great shepherd and manager of people, those are vocational gifts. And similarly, uh, it was through God's providence that we have had the vocational opportunities that we have had. Um, ultimately, it was God that provided whatever education we've been able to have, or if we got to apprentice or learn a trade. Um, again, that's all. these are all gifts from God. And so just like we want to honor God uh, in stewarding our finances well, so we want to honor God and deploy and carefully steward these vocational gifts that, that he has given to us um, for, his, for his kingdom purposes. So I uh, defined vocational stewardship as the strategic and intentional deployment of all of the dimensions of our vocational power. So things like our skills, our expertise, uh, the platforms or positions we might hold, the networks we have, et cetera. Uh, carefully stewarding all of, all of that to advance foretastes of the kingdom of God. All right, you've just introduced yet another interesting phrase in your definition of vocational stewardship. So what, what do you mean by foretastes of the kingdom? I think when we look at the Bible's uh, big story, what, what we see is that, that all of redemptive history is moving towards the consummation of the kingdom of God, uh, the time when heaven will come down uh, to earth, when the new Jerusalem will come down to earth, um, bedecked uh, beautifully as a, as, a, as a bride. And we get glimpses throughout the scripture, somewhat mysterious glimpses and, and certainly incomplete glimpses, but we get glimpses into what life in that consummated kingdom is going to be like. And so we get, we get, a little taste that 
wow, in the new heavens and the new earth, there's not going to be any sickness and there's not going to be any disease. There's not going to be any death that in the new Jerusalem, there will be no war. We'll have peace. We'll have perfect justice and perfect wholeness. And, and we'll have all this amazing diversity where all these different tongues and tribes and people will be together worshiping God. So we'll have community, we'll have beauty, we'll have joy, we'll have this face-to-face -face intimate communion with God. These are all marks of what life in the future kingdom is going to look like. And one of the ways uh, we can kind of think about what Jesus was doing in his earthly ministry was that through his earthly ministry, he was offering people foretastes of that kingdom that was to come. So when we see him, for example, healing uh, a blind person, one way of interpreting that is, is to say, well, Jesus knows that in the new Jerusalem, there's not going to be any blindness. And so he's reaching into that future reality and yanking a foretaste of it back into our time and giving that blind person uh, their sight. So just like Jesus offered people foretastes of the coming kingdom, I believe that as followers of Jesus, we are to join him in offering our neighbors those foretastes. Um, so what does that look like? Well, it's, it's asking ourselves, well, how can I, in my sphere of influence, using the particular vocational gifts and talents and assets and power that God has given to me, how could I be an agent through which my neighbors could experience a little foretaste of the coming justice, a little foretaste of the, of the coming peace, a little foretaste of the coming beauty or joy or, or wholeness or economic opportunity? And so that was, that's what I mean by offering foretastes of the kingdom. Amy, this is um, not only a reframing of work, it's also a reframing of heaven. It, it, it's an expansion of what we mean uh, about the future that awaits um, the, the people of God. It's not just simply a disembodied floating with a harp in the you know, sky, but you, you're describing this robust environment where there is actually forms of work in the future. Uh, and you're also describing work in a very present way, but also a future-oriented way. So I have this suspicion now that there's a lot of ways in which we think of work or ideas that we have about work that we get wrong. What, what, what do you think are some of these areas or ideas that we get wrong about work? Yeah, unfortunately, there, there are a number of them. Um, you know, I mentioned one um, kind of in passing, the, this, this notion that work is something that happens after, uh, after the curse, you know, that, that work is a post-fall, post-Genesis 3 reality, when in fact it's a, it's a Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 reality. It's part of paradise in the garden. Um, work also, although it was created to be um, delightful, um, work can become something that feeds our idols. Um, we can mistakenly think that, that our work is the substance of our identity. Uh, and of course, uh, believers in Christ know that now our identity uh, is in our belonging 
to Christ and being in Christ. Um, some of the, I think, more contemporary problems uh, with our understanding of work would be things like having this notion that, that work is somehow different from ministry. Uh, and sometimes our language, you know, reveals that sort of sacred secular divide. Um, so you, you might hear people say, oh, did you hear about Pete? He, he left his job in the law firm to go into ministry. You know, he's going to go work for Campus Crusade or whatever. And um, the, the problem with that kind of language is that to suggest that, that Pete wasn't doing ministry when he was working in the law firm. Uh, whereas when we understand work as this image bearing, uh, living out the, the cultural mandate in all different kinds of uh, arenas of, of society, um, then our, our work is and can be uh, ministry, even while we also uh, uphold the, the vocations that we have traditionally labeled as ministry. Uh, the work of pastors is still really important. The work of missionaries is still really important. Um, but one of the failings, I think, in the church is that we have um, sometimes set up a hierarchy. And so people think that somehow, well, being that pastor or being that missionary, that's more of a kingdom occupation. That's, that's a higher, more spiritual form of, of, of work. Uh, and, and I don't, I don't think that that's right. Uh, and I don't think that that is really what the Bible, uh, teaches. Um, so we have this, we have this sacred secular thing going on. We have a false hierarchy that sometimes goes on. Um, and, and then we have, I think sometimes, uh, sort of a, a separation too, in, in our understandings of, of work and discipleship. Uh, whereby uh, my friend Time Nelson calls this the Sunday-Monday gap. And so, so discipleship, that's sort of this spiritual thing, and, and that's what you're involved in when you're at church on Sunday or at small group meeting on Wednesday night. Um, but on Monday through Friday when you're at work, like somehow that's separate from discipleship. Uh, but of course, the Bible has this vision, no, Jesus is the Lord of all, and discipleship is meant to be whole life. And, and frankly, discipleship that doesn't shape what we're doing Monday through Friday in our work, I mean, that, that's not discipleship at all. So those are some of the, I think, problematic ways that, that we think about work at times. Again, this is a really compelling vision of work, a restoration of, you know, what work was intended to be. And so you're underscoring the goodness of work, the opportunities our work can give us in terms of blessing others, giving us foretastes of the kingdom, contributing to human flourishing. Okay, but let's be honest here. What about people who hate their work? Because I encountered this very often. People will say they just hate their job. So when someone comes to you who feels discouraged or burnt out by their work, maybe not even sure they should continue their current role, how do you approach that conversation? Yeah, well, it, it is a really big issue. And I know it's a very big pastoral uh, concern because um, unfortunately there are a lot of people that are 
uh, disillusioned with their work or they feel that their work is sort of meaningless or um, like you say, they just, they just really hate it. Um, so on the one hand, we shouldn't be surprised um, because we are living in that post-fall world and the Bible teaches us pretty clearly that you know, now we do our work in the midst of all these thorns and thistles. Uh, so, you know, work isn't just going to be one big happy party uh, all the all the time. So I think we should not be surprised um, when work is difficult. Um, and how I tend to sort of counsel or, or um, advise folks who are struggling in their work um, depends a little bit uh, on how old they are and kind of where they're at in the stage of their, of their work life. Um, sometimes young people, um, you know, sort of go off into the, into the work world with uh, somewhat rosy glasses where they think, you know, kind of everyone in, in their life up to that point has told them, you can be whatever you want to be and you can do whatever you want to do and you're going to change the world. And, and, uh, you know, they've been very inspired and, you know, then all of a sudden there they are at their job and they're low man on the totem pole and uh, actually work, it's hard and it's not all that fun. Uh, and work is messy because you do it with other people and they're sinners and you're a sinner and all of a sudden you don't like your job very much um, and you want to quit. And, um, you know, in some of those instances, I like to say to these uh, young people, uh, something that uh, a friend of mine, uh, who's a pastor, uh, once said, which is, which is that young people need to be sure that they're not wasting that crappy job, um, which is a rather blunt way of saying something important, which is, yeah, work is hard, but work can be a school of spiritual formation. Work may be a location through which God is refining you and working on you. Um, you know, when we talk about vocational stewardship, a lot of what I'm talking about is how we can um, sort of work um, for the kingdom of God or, or through our work that God can accomplish certain things in, in the world. Um, but work is also about what God is doing in us. So part of what God does through work is uses the vehicle of work to form us. Um, so you don't have to stay at that cruddy job, you know, for the next 50 years of your life. Um, but before you jump ship too early, it's always worth asking, is God trying to get my attention here through these hardships? Is God working in me, working on me through these difficulties that I'm having? Now, if the person I'm talking to, though, if the issue is more, you know, um, they have the maturity to realize, okay, I don't want to leave just because, you know, Tuesday was a hard day. Um, one of the things I try to do, Walter, is, is parse out a little bit, okay, let's talk about the things that are difficult and see if we can sort of put them into two different categories. One category I would, be, I would call workplace problems, and then the other category I would call work problems. So workplace problems are the various things about your work that are difficult, but that have to do with things like, well, I don't like my job because it doesn't pay enough. I don't like my job because I don't like the schedule. Or my boss is really a very difficult person, you know, or the environment is yucky. 
Um, there's a, you know, a bad morale. Well, all of those are obviously really important things and, and things that we have to navigate and, and deal with, but those are workplace problems. And they're sort of in a different category than what I would call actual problems with your work itself, i.e. the role I'm in just is a terrible fit for who God designed me to be, or the work that I have to do um, is giving me so little opportunity to actually utilize the unique gifts and talents that God has given me. Those sorts of problems to me are the kinds of problems that that are red flags that say, yeah, maybe this is a time for reassessment and change. The other problems, the workplace problems, it seems to me that um, yes, leaving the job may be the right thing, but there might be other right solutions too. You know, maybe it's going and confronting your lousy boss. Uh, maybe it's trying to be a person who changes that bad toxic climate, you know, uh, in the environment. Maybe it's the person who uh, goes and advocates to get a raise from themselves because they haven't had one in 10 years. So there's other other things to be to be thinking about. But I think kind of parsing out what is it when we say I hate my job, <laughs> what do we actually mean by that? Because it it could fall more or less into one of those two categories. And I think our response to those things has to be different. One of the issues that you're pointing us toward is this um, wisdom that we need to have, this discernment we need to have. And um, I think of the issues that you raise about uh, younger people and work and character formation. Um, but in addition to character formation, there's also vocational discernment that often arises. Um, do you have any practical tips, um, a process that someone can go through who might be unsure of their vocational calling? or might even be reevaluating uh, their sense of vocational call if, if they're more advanced in their stages of work and they're now questioning themselves. Well, I wish I had the magic bullet because I could be a gazillionaire because so many people do struggle with vocational discernment. And I, I think there's not sort of one magic um, process. Um, I do think that prayer is absolutely primary. Um, so we need to be cultivating that relationship with the Lord where we're really listening for his uh, guidance and for his direction. Um, now, the thing what I, that I find sometimes with younger folks is that they, they actually think that God has this very specific answer that he's going to give them. You know, they're in all this uh, angst about, well, I've got these three different job opportunities and I have to choose be between them. And they're sort of freaking out uh, about making the, the wrong choice. And often I think um, really we can put our arm around that young person and, and say, you know, um, maybe the reason you feel like God hasn't, you know, given you that burning bush and, and you know, answered your prayer, you know, go through door number one is because actually all three of these are good options and you can serve the Lord faithfully in any of these three options. Um, so, so we need to, I think, help uh, younger people, especially to, to not have this view that there's this like one calling or 
one career that is where they're going to put all their eggs in, in that basket. And that's the thing that God is calling them to do. In fact, you know, there's, I just think there's a lot of, a lot of freedom um, and a lot of different ways that, that God can use them in a variety of settings and in a variety of, of roles. Um, now, I do have a diagram that I do sometimes show to young people. It's not a magic bullet uh, and it's, it's not a perfect diagram, but I draw these three circles and they're sort of overlapping. I guess that's like a Venn diagram. I don't know. I, I admitted before that I'm bad at math, so I'm not sure. Um, but one circle I, I label um, God's passions. So the things that God is really, really passionate about. He's, he's passionate that people come to know him. He's passionate for reconciliation. He's passionate for justice. Um, he's passionate about the poor and the vulnerable. So that's one circle. A second circle uh, are the needs of the world, the pressing real needs of, of people in the world. And the third circle represents um, the, the young person's passions and, and interests and sort of that, that unique thing that is them, that, that God has made, that the, the <clears throat> particular giftings that they have and the interests that they have. And where those three circles can converge, that overlapping area, I call that the vocational sweet spot. And I try to encourage young people to think about what that vocational sweet spot might look like. Now, it is rare, I think, um, for folks to you know, identify a, the, the perfect contours uh, of that. Um, but, but it's an ideal that we could kind of strive for and, and at least use to get our, get our thinking kind of going. Now, I, I have had some really good feedback uh, on that little diagram that I think is really valuable and has, has made it better. Uh, and, and that is, uh, there, there's a group, I forget who they were, somebody down south that sort of took it and then put it in a larger context in, in which they, they wrote the word um, constraints sort of over the diagram. So that you have this idea that yes, there's these three circles uh, and those are real things and where they overlap is like a great place to be vocationally. Um, but we all live in a world of various constraints where we have other uh, responsibilities and obligations that, that bear upon our vocational choices. Um, so the sweet spot might say, go to China and teach English as a second language. Um, at the same time, you know, maybe your father just recently passed away and your mother is really, really hurting it may not be the best time for you to move, you know, 3000 miles away um, from, from home to take up that, to take up that work. So we, we face different constraints that, that also have to be taken into uh, account. So those are some of the things that I like to say to younger people trying to discern. Um, I think that, um, with those that are sort of further along and they're, they're trying to um, recalibrate, so to speak, um, whether they're in the right place. Um, again, I think prayer is primary. Uh, good counsel from Christians who know you really, really well uh, is also really helpful. 
uh, and particularly Christian friends who will really push you to um, explore ruthlessly um, the, your, your motivations for kind of what, what has brought about this stirring. Um, some of those motivations are really good. Um, you realize God is stirring and, and you realize this role I'm in isn't really giving me the opportunity to, to fully express and deploy the experiences God's given me, the talents he's given me. I could be more strategically deployed somewhere else. That's a good thing to, to recognize and to have Christian friends who say, yep, be brave, take that step, um, do it. Um, but it's also good to have Christian friends who can help you discern, you know, are you just, are you just sort of restless? Um, and the restlessness has to do with some of your own frustrations about life or some of your own idols, um, or, you know, just things that you're kind of things of this world that are attractive <laughs> to you, you know, well, I just don't really, I'm not too happy with this job because, uh, I'd really just like to make more money or, um, and again, your Christian friends can speak truth into that. And, and so prayer and good, honest counsel and good, honest self-reflection are all important, I think, when trying to recalibrate your, your calling. Your responses about um, discernment have drawn deeply from the sense of our place in the community. So, you know, turning to friends or having people give us honest feedback, um, understanding the constraints that we may have because of our own family contexts. And, and I wanna push um, to the context of the church. How can churches help people navigate faith and work issues? What, what advice do you have for pastors or, or lay leaders in the church? Or even someone, a congregant in a church has just want to challenge its church to do a better job in discipling um, uh, people in areas of faith and work. What advice would you have? I think there's such a powerful role that pastors and congregational leaders can play um, you know, pastors can really do a good job of teaching some of those foundational elements of a, of a biblical theology of work. And some of the things we were talking about before, which when help people avoid the various pitfalls that, that we mentioned uh, before. So for a pastor to help people understand God sees you in your work he designed you, he gave you these talents and you have a calling and he invite, he's inviting you to participate uh, in, in the stewardship of the world that he created. Um, and so give kind of giving people a, a higher sense of, of that calling uh, that, that their work really does matter to God um, is, is really a valuable thing. Um, pastors can also, I think, do a great job of uh, encouraging and, and affirming people in their work. Again, a lot of people are walking around with this false dichotomy and sort of feeling like second-class citizens because, well, I'm just a carpenter, or I'm just a, an architect, or I'm just a, you know, a salesperson. I'm not that missionary or that doctor or that pastor. Uh, and, and for the pastor to, you know, bring up, uh, have, have the various business people in the church 
stand up on, on Sunday morning and everybody, you know, uh, point their hands to those folks and say a, a prayer of blessing and affirmation over all these congregants that are laboring in the various businesses in the community, um, affirming that that work is so important. They're creating jobs for people. They're helping people to discover and deploy their talents. They're creating um, goods and services that are needed for, for human flourishing. So pastors can encourage, they can uh, affirm, they can pray for folks, they can provide really solid um, teaching. Um, and then I think also that pastors can keep reminding people about that whole notion of whole life discipleship. Um, and one practical way I think of doing that has to even do with things like sermon illustrations. Um, it, for example, if, if all of our sermon illustrations are sort of always centered around like our, our personal spiritual disciplines or, or even just our family life, but they're, they're never set in the context of the workplace, then that just reinforces to people oh, somehow like discipleship's over there and, and work is over here and they're, the, the two don't sort of meet up. Um, so, so really helping people to understand, no, your faith should really shape how you work, how you engage with other people at work, how you treat people at work, um, how you think about the work itself that you're doing and the way that that work may be an avenue through which God is remaking things and restoring things because that's what Jesus is doing. He's, a, he's involved in this kingdom work of, uh, of restoration. So, so there's a lot, I think, that pastors can be doing. I, I want to switch gears for a moment to uh, invite you to speak a little bit about another aspect of your life's work that I've become familiar with and deeply appreciate. Um, there are social challenges that our nation and world face today. They're complex, they're immense. How can people see their vocations as opportunities to contribute to the common good, especially as they relate to pressing challenges like lack of job opportunities, housing insecurity, um, economic disparities that, that are facing us? Um, speak to that situation. Yeah, well, I mentioned that vocational stewardship is the strategic and, and intentional deployment of all of the dimensions of our vocational power to advance these kingdom fortes. And uh, there are people, there are followers of Christ who have really significant vocational power. There are folks who own businesses. They are folks who have a hiring responsibility there are folks who are uh, in positions of policy influence. Um, and all of those believers, um, I think, really have an opportunity to, um, you know, make significant contributions in light of some of those really pressing challenges that, that you mentioned. Uh, I mean, if you're actually, you know, if you're your city's, one of your city's biggest um, real estate developers, wow, you could, you could really have a lot of, you could make a big impact in your community. You could 
decide you're going to build more affordable housing. You could decide you're going to um, really try to revitalize that 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 neighborhood, um, you know, on the one side of town that is really economically distressed and, and other sort of pioneering investors have not gone in there. <laughs> uh, but you as a, as a follower of Jesus decide, I can go in there and I can, I can do good. Um, but it's also really, really important for all sort of all the rest of us who don't necessarily feel like we have this huge amount of vocational power and we're not the CEO uh, and, and we're not the, the mayor of, of the town. Um, but, but we also uh, have a role to play and it's a vital role. And it's absolutely imperative that we do not allow ourselves to become paralyzed by the scale of the problems and the scale of the challenge. Um, we have to recognize that, that we too uh, have been given some degree of influence and some degree of vocational uh, talent, skill, expertise, networks, et cetera, that we can deploy uh, to make a difference. Now, maybe that's gonna be a smaller scale difference, but that's okay. Uh, just because, you know, I'm not uh, in a position to, uh, you know, fix all the challenges of broken schools or, or unequal uh, education. Well, that doesn't, that doesn't mean that I can't do something um, right where I am in the job I have. For example, um, maybe, my, maybe my company has a job shadowing uh, program or, an, or a summer apprenticeship program. Well, I could really use my influence to try to open up those opportunities for young people um, who are economically disadvantaged and don't usually have access to those sorts of opportunities. So again, it's not fixing the whole school system, but it can really help a couple of kids. And that's a really, really good thing. Uh, or again, you know, uh, maybe I'm not the biggest developer, um, but maybe I have a little, maybe I have a little construction company. Well, maybe I could get together with a few other folks that I know, um, and we can't fix affordable housing, but we could develop a, a six-unit apartment building, and then decide to rent those six units out uh, at an affordable price. So it's it's really important, I think, that people recognize that they do have some agency and they do have some influence. And the question is, how, how are we going to use that? Who can we benefit with that influence? Who can we serve who's maybe not being served? What opportunities might, might we be able to create, even if it's just an opportunity for one person? Um, but these are ways that we participate in the renewal of, of all things. Um, so sometimes it's at a big scale and sometimes it's at a much more modest scale, but we all have the opportunity to make a difference. That's really inspiring because you've given us uh, some imagination for actual practical steps that could be taken. Um, we, we began this podcast with an acknowledgement that many of us are weary uh, and work has been hard uh, this past season of life. I'd like to end on a note of encouragement. Uh, do you have one for us? Yeah, I'll actually, I'll, I'll offer you, I'll offer the listeners uh, three words of encouragement. Um, one is that God sees, God sees your labor. Uh, it is not unknown to him. Uh, he sees the good efforts that you're making. 
and he sees the way that you are trying to love uh, and serve people through your work. And even if other people you feel like don't really see that, um, he sees that. Um, second word of encouragement is that um, you really are blessed by God with gifts and talents and you have contributions to make and do not let anyone tell you differently because it's a lie. You do have unique gifts and talents given to you by your heavenly creator who formed you in the womb uh, and you have a contribution uh, to make in his kingdom. And then thirdly, um, God really will use you to make differences in people's lives through your work if you um, sort of offer up yourself as an instrument of that. So sure, maybe you don't like your job a whole lot right now. Maybe it's tedious. Maybe you feel like it's futile. Maybe you feel like it's kind of meaningless. But we have this amazing promise um, from Jesus where he's talking about the vine and the branches. And he says, you know, if you abide in me, if you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. And so you can think about what does it look like to abide in Jesus day in and day out on the job so that Jesus will bear fruit in and through me on the job because he will, that's his promise. Our guest on today's conversation has been Amy Sherman. I'm Walter Kim, and on behalf of us all, very special thanks to Amy. The National Association of Evangelicals is where we use influence for good. Today's conversation is one of many ways we connect and represent evangelical Christians in the United States. To discover more NAE topics and resources for you and your church, please follow along on Twitter at NAEvangelicals or on our Facebook page for the National Association of Evangelicals. And sign up for our email list when you visit our website at nae.net.